0: Podcasting from London, Ontario, Canada. This is The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You. An interview show where creative people talk about what inspires them to pursue their dreams and do what they love. And now, your host... Karis Thomas.
1: And we're back after long last with the lovers, the dreamers, and you. I'm Karis Thomas, and beside me is the wonderful Luke Bainbridge, who doesn't have a microphone, so he's going to wave on radio. Oh, he's going to clap. There, you can hear that. And we have Matt Stewart. Hello. And Carrie Hishin. Hi. And our guests today are Andrew Ritazzi. Hello. And Joe Rackia. Hello.
2: That's one of them.
1: Okay, say it for us. Well,
2: my for family says Risha. Recchia is the correct Italian, though, so I also accept it.
1: Oh, so I was Italian. You were very
2: yeah. Italian.
1: Fabulous. So uh, we're here to have a friendly discussion about things that inspire us, uh, because that's what we're about, and uh, to return to the airwaves, because it's been a little while. We've been busy people, Um, but our main focus is today, at least, is to talk to these two wonderful creative people about what they're working on right now. So one of you want to jump in and tell us the big project I know you have yeah they're like no no you no you no you It works great for radio you guys Um, one of you tell us about the big project you have thousands of projects always on the go but what's the up-and-coming thing
3: the closest up-and-coming thing I guess would be uh, our production of Oklahoma at the Palace Theatre
1: which is where we're recording which is where we're recording yes exactly these amazing acoustics are thanks to the Palace Theatre on Dundas Street in London Ontario
4: I think we can record a really sweet choral album in here. I,
1: we probably could. Oh, yeah.
3: definitely. Anyhow, so we're doing Oklahoma. I think it's November 14th to 24th.
2: Yeah. You win.
3: And uh, uh, it's going to be a, a, a great show. Uh, one of the biggest casts I've ever worked with. So.
2: It's the opening to Musical Theater Productions 25th anniversary season. It's going to be a big show. It's da- going da-da. to be splashy. It's going to be a big spectacle. We hope everyone's going to have a great time. There and we hope it will inspire them to continue to see the rest of the 25th anniversary season.
1: Oh, nice! Inspirational work to inspire others to come back for more. Exactly. I like that. I, I like, like that. Uh, Carrie and Matt, before we started recording, you guys said that you had some cool and interesting questions. So, Matt, you're holding the microphone, so go. You go first. Okay,
4: so we're gonna jump right into this. Yeah, really yeah. Just go, man. All right. Well, the cho-
1: hard-hitting journalistic <laughs> questions from I Matt am. Stewart.
4: I am. Um, okay. Um, yeah, Joe, you're designing the set again for us, which is great, for the show. For us. I'm smiling, which doesn't say us, save a... For
1: us. You say for mm-hmm. us. What do you mean for us? Oh, what well, do you want to tell the world there, Matt?
4: Well, it's, it's uh, I, I'm in Oklahoma. <laughs> yes, you are. And it's, you know, another show that I'm doing where Joe designs the set, amongst other things. Um, and Karis here, of course, is directing it. What? What I am? Oh, I don't know. Congrats. I
2: think there might be some dance in it too that she might be Maybe. responsible I th- for. I think so. Just a bit. Are you just the a tiny bit.
4: lady who tells me how to move my feet? Yeah, that's me. Okay. All right. Well, back to the journalism. Um, <laughs> so, so you and I have talked before about you know getting you know my interest in set design, and mm-hmm. I thought it would be super easy because uh, in art school I focused in sculpture, and I thought it was just a giant sculpture. On stage, that I could do, but it proved to be much more difficult than that.
2: Well, the show that we worked on together was probably the least sculptural set I've ever done. It was very mm. flat and had a, the biggest scenic painting job I've ever done in my entire life.
1: So you may as well tell the audience what that was.
2: Which was uh, our production of Sullivan and Gilbert by Ken Ludwig here at the Palace Theatre as well, and that was presented by London Community Players. Um, I worked with Matt as my assistant. Uh, Set designer on that show Um, It was a great show Uh, The set was an interesting challenge Because Mm -hmm. of the versatile locations And having to go back to different places Because Ken Ludwig likes to write Whoa Likes to write scripts that play like film instead of like theater Mm -hmm. and lots of back and forth that have to happen instantaneously before the actor's eyes and our solution to that was utilizing the turntable that the palace had recently acquired which is a revolving platform that you can use to have different sets on and reveal them as you go. And because of that, a lot of our set was actually done without a lot of dimension. There were no sculptural trees or lots of different levels or anything like right. that because most of the set was the revolving stage and a large panoramic backdrop vista. That took probably about a week A week to paint.
1: Yeah, that, that was time-consuming. And, and I know that even when it was, air quotes, done, neither of you really felt that it was done. Like
2: you both kept looking no. at it going, I'd yeah. like to there add was, more. There was mo- always more. With every set, I feel like there's more to, that could be done. That was my first time ever tackling a paint right. job that big. And I don't know your experience, Matt, if you've done much in painting something that large. I've
4: done big murals, but that far exceeded.
2: So it it, it was it was kind of new for both of us. And I think we were both happy with aspects of it. And mm-hmm. I think for me, and I don't know if Matt would agree with this, A lot of the little pieces worked well on their own. It was trying to bring it all together into a large, unified piece. That was my struggle. Mm. Mm -hmm, Because
4: we were trying to bring in all sorts of Gilbert and Sullivan shows into one big mural, and that's really hard when one of them happens in British Parliament and one of them happens on the high seas on a pirate ship
2: exactly and on top of that also having different artists work on the mural makes it more difficult too because matt has a different painting style than i do and we had other people contributing to it as well Mm -hmm. and trying to in the end make sure it didn't feel like this was painted by this person and this was painted by this person was was a challenge
5: now from someone who's from a non-art background what do you mean when you when you say that matt has a different painting style than you
2: have well every artist kind of has their their own way that they like to manipulate uh, I'm,
4: medium. I'm a lot more loose of a painter than, than Joe is. I like my brushstro- brush strokes to be very visible, mm-hmm. even when I'm doing small-scale work. And you did that incredible portrait for what show? Three Musketeers. Three Musketeers where is this very eloquently painted portrait, and I could never sit down and do that. It's funny that
2: you mentioned my technique as being tighter because I often look at my painting style and go, that's not as crisp and as perfect as I would like it to be. And you'd like, oh, that's amazing. I'd like amazing. it to be even even tighter, tighter so like, yeah. almost like photorealism at times, and I, I'm incapable of painting photorealistic. Mm-hmm. I have, and mm-hmm. I, uh, my style also is, I like to focus on different shading with color, I don't like to use a lot of white or black necessarily in my compositions. I'd rather hmm. use like browns and yellows and things to create highlight and shade. Whereas Matt, I think, has a little bit more in a traditional black and white contrast to his work. At least that's
4: what I felt with the pirate ship a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like to use the white, you know, as a highlight a lot more. Than exactly. And else.
2: And sometimes, especially when I'm doing things like foliage, I'll actually use yellow instead of white to highlight because sure. it blends nicer with the color and doesn't mm-hmm. come off as a okay so
1: you've said two things that hopefully i can remember that i want to ask you about because the first one i think you said you've never actually been happy like ever like like feel feel not happy You've never but been completely happier. done like feeling like it's completely done
2: no um, sense ever completely finished no it, artwork is ever I
1: well I understand I completely understand that because any show I've directed or choreographed or, or something you're like oh, I wish I always wanted to get that actor to do this or I always wanted to change that choreography or something I'm the same
5: way and I think we were feeling about that
1: with Little Mermaid what we did at
5: Original Kids um, back in March like we felt that oh if we had you know two more weeks we could have done this in this number or you know we could have done this little bit more character development with this character but in the end it was still a fantastic show for
1: sure so so what I wanted to ask uh, so that was the first thing that you said the second thing was that um it was the the something about your painting style or, or something, and I wanted to ask, of the shows that you and I have worked on together, which set design did you think you were most happy with, not was your best, but the the final realization you were most happy with, and which one painting-wise were you most satisfied with? Because like I'm thinking about gondoliers had more... Um, sculptural elements to it. It was m- far more three-dimensional than yes, Sullivan yes. and Gilbert, and the painting on that was out of this world. Um, Follies was completely different look, and uh, but very structural, and then Three Musketeers, also very structural, and a completely different painting style, and, mm. and sort of a monochromatic thing, and then Sullivan and Gilbert, and now, of course, the one that you're thinking about. Uh, I mean, you can't talk about that, but because you haven't done it yet, and it, and so I, that's a question I want you to get to. But Andrew wants to say something. I think no, he's I waving a, you at missed me. No, I Miss Treasure Island. Of course, thank you. Oh, I, I didn't know what that was. I think it was T I. He was doing semaphore. It was like, um, yeah.
2: If I okay, right? Uh, to discern down your question, that when I think of the set that I was most happy with right. ever, that I was most satisfied with, that we've worked on together, mm-hmm. right. I would say was The Three Musketeers. Okay, because? Because of all the sets that we've ever done, that was the one where on stage, it was exactly what I had in mind. Nice. It looked precisely like I wanted it to look. I was happy with all of the paint finishes. The the spatial elements of the set worked out exactly the way I wanted them. They functioned well for the show. It had a nice concept. Some of the other shows we've done have been less conceptually based and that one really was. I wanted it to look like an old-fashioned ink parchment drawing come to life. Right. I didn't and want it to look realistic. And then we added the chessboard, which
1: had an, an extra dimension of concept.
2: Yes, which was... it It really added something to, to, the, to the look of the show. Had, that, mm-hmm. had we done that stage without the chessboard, it would have been a very simple set, and I don't think it would have had the visual appeal right. that it did in the end, even though we only used the chessboard literally for chess in two scenes. it, it still became added, a metaphor. Yeah, and it added to the show, and it, it created a lot of staging possibilities because mm-hmm. we were able to embrace its design, especially when we put it on a diamond shape rather than a square than shape, a square, yeah. which is more dynamic. Um,
1: Am I right? The only thing we let go with that set design was the extra curtain at the top, and, yes. and in the end, you were happy with that decision?
2: Yes, I think it would have taken away because it turned out that curtain was going to be the only thing of actual color in the show. You're right. In the yes. set, we were going to have a red and blue curtain that switched back and forth depending on wh- where we were in the show it ended up being a neutral kind of cream beige curtain mm-hmm. and kept that monochromatic look to the set. And to be honest, I think that's one of those times where I look back and went, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't have put a colored curtain there. It would have defeated the monochromatic feel that I was going for. Because right. The only other color that ended up in the set was gold, which still has that neutral right. feel.
5: And potentially problematic in case uh someone forgot to change the curtain true yes it would have been a huge deal if the king had red curtains yeah the cardinal's colors right exactly
1: well and it was one of those happy accidents that it it just turned out we didn't have the fabric we'd run out of budget we came in under budget am i right on that set or on budget i think we were
2: like on the money
1: right on it um so i mean that's another thing to be proud of because it's hard Mm -hmm. to do because that was quite the set Um, but then you know, we decide, okay, we're going to have to let that go, and it turned out to be a better choice.
2: Right. In terms of, uh, to answer the other part of your question, in terms of painting, the most uh, successful set I think I've ever done would have to be Sullivan and Gilbert because it was the most challenging paint effects I'd ever done. Um, Not just the scenic backdrop, but also because I haven't often had the experience of doing A box set which for you listeners who don't know what that is that's a set that takes place in a room so you Mm -hmm. have walls and doors and that sort of feel i haven't done many of those sets right and the box set of the dressing room was visually stunning and i loved the way it turned out and that's another one of those it was exactly what i pictured in my head and it came out exactly right
1: the gentleman's dressing room
2: the yes the gentleman's dressing room and then the um the corridor which was the brick wall effect I was very happy with it as well. There was more I think could have been done to that to give the bricks more dimension had I had time, but it <laughs> it worked. And so I, there's I your, was, it's unfinished yes. feeling. And the same with the mural side. I really liked the mural side and I was really, I would say I was really, really happy with the center section of the mural. Yes, It was the, where the mural panned out on either side, which was revealed towards the end of the show. Needed a little bit more work. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: well, you had originally wanted it to sculpturally grow above the extension of the mm-hmm. of the edge of the flat, too.
2: Yes, I think in the end that's another one of those. I think we made the smart choice in going with. It was easier to do without those dimensional cutouts, and I think it probably looked better. Mm. Um,
4: I want to disagree with you. You want to disagree with me? Yeah. Okay. I think it would have looked cool if the pagoda was going up and okay. we had a sail or a mast and either rope or a it's sail. It's true. I think But that we needed
1: more time, more money, and more manpower. And
2: it would have also meant more to do with lighting, because if we had done that, then we would have definitely had to use the cyclorama backdrop in order to be able to light it to get that sky effect, which right. we painted in in the end. Right. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do see where you're coming at with that. My one functionality concern with that would be when we turn the turntable, we would be looking at the back of the sculptural element of the dome, on the center bit. Yes. Which was my only one thing that Mm. I thought would have been awkward.
1: Right. So we would have had to solve the problem of that in order to really- Probably painting
2: the back of it black would have been helpful Mm. and dealt Mm -hmm. with most of that, but that was something that was always in the back of my mind. Um, The only other set that I would add in was not a show that we worked on together, but probably overall is the set I'm most proud of, which was the set I did for the Diary of Anne Frank.
4: And we're all most proud of you for that.
3: Absolutely.
4: (laughs) I'm not sure if Karis agrees. I think no, she no, will. I do. I do. Okay. I do. I um, do. I love
1: all of your sets, whether they're for me or for someone
2: else. And, and that one for me... I,
1: I enjoyed was... coming out of a little shiny, sparkly, encrusted box in Drowsy Chaperone. Oh, I it... forgot
2: about that one. That one we was forgot cool. about her glittery box. Yeah. Oh, that, was, that was a good show too. So they all And have... Diving Out of a Refrigerator they, with Bill Hill. That was pretty fun. They all have their things. I think Drowsy Chaperone was a great set because of its surprises. Yeah. I think Follies was a great set because of its breathtaking effects. I don't think it had anything to do with my set's Specifically, that was one where I think the set and the lighting and the curtain effect all came together to create something that none of those things could do by themselves. True. Um,
3: Except you're you're not giving yourself enough credit for the marquee that opened up with the glitter curtain yeah. behind well, it.
2: Well,
1: and that's one of those instances when um, Joe does this to me all the time. I don't tell him that often enough that he does this, but he'll go away and he'll do a set design and then he'll bring me drawings, and I'll look at those drawings and go. <gasps> I now have ideas for blocking that entire scene because he's shown me what he's gonna give me. And uh, you know, before it was sort of ephemeral ideas of blocking and I know I'll have stairs or I know I'll have a doorway or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he comes to me with this amazing idea of a marquee that will open and he wants it to light up. And I'm like, well, if you want it to light up, it damn well is gonna light up because you've now given me you know 23 ideas for, for stuff that I can do in the show. So it's, it's gonna happen.
2: And if I can throw a little credit back to you, I never would have thought that way as a set designer until the first show that we did together <laughs> where you said, I want to have a suggestion of Italian arches that then come together and make the classic McDonald's golden arches. And <laughs> I looked at you with a, la- a look that said, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't really
1: say that. It said, this woman be crazy.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. And I have worked with directors before who who be crazy, but... I I distilled what you said. I thought about, can we do that? Can I make it? The whole McDonald's thing, I was like, how are we not gonna see that coming? How is it not gonna look like weird and unattractive before we use it as the McDonald's arch? And it came up with something that I was happy with and I got the classic Kara squeal when I presented the model (laughs) to her. That's right, you did. Um, But that was the first time I ever thought of functionality in that way and, and trying to really Surprise the audience and really with the set and and for that set, what that one was great with is we really only had like four or five set pieces, and yep. just by moving them very slightly between the first and second act, we had completely different locations. locations. Yep, yep. Um,
1: well, and you ran with that and gave me a 1950s diner and, uh, that was that had these wonky angled booth seats that then became a throne because of how we positioned them. Yeah. It was like wow, like. It's, that's real. It was cool. It was, it was cool. cool. That
2: cool. was fun. Um, for me, I think what getting back to why I'm so proud of the Diary of Anne Frank set, um, that was my first time ever doing a box set that was right. completely enclosed. And there was a great practical challenge to that show, because basically it was a show where nine people were going to be on stage the entire time, mm-hmm. and I had to create enough spaces that they could physically do that, and that we could still make the action of the play work the way it was written. Um, The director came up with a concept of the layout that he liked, okay. And I ran with that. So even though it's my most, it's the set that I'm most proud of in its finished form. There are other sets that I'm more proud of in some ways because they were more my original ideas. Okay. It was a brilliant set. Okay. I won't take full credit for the concept of Mm -hmm. how of the layout of it because I didn't necessarily come up with that. Mm -hmm. But the execution of it turned out really well, and it was what was great was I took. I had to take a set design that, whose concept seemed better suited for a larger stage and make it fit on our very small stage. Right. And we did, and everyone was happy with it, and the show was beautifully done, and it was probably the most detailed um, painting job I had done to that point because I really wanted it to have that old and distressed, dilapidated yeah, yeah. feel so it had plaster flaking away. It yeah, had it certainly wasn't floorboards coming pretty, up and, Yeah,
1: but it wasn't supposed
2: to be. And to be honest, when I was, when I was training in, in scenic design, that was my speciality, was making things not pretty. Mm. Most of the sets I had done were rather unattractive. I had done a Nazi concentration camp. I had done Much do About Nothing, and I was so excited because that was going to get to me my first pretty set because it's a Shakespeare comedy, and it's set right. in a mansion, and the director tells me we're doing it in the Great Depression in the Alberta prairies.
1: <laughs> so you've, done, you've worked with Brown a lot.
2: yes. Yes. And
1: now you're working with Brown again.
2: Yes, for Oklahoma. Mm. And this has been a challenge in and of itself um, for many different reasons. One of it being, um, this is probably the first musical I've done that specifically has a lot of set needs according to the different scenes it's in. Drowsy Chaperone right. was all set in one room, and the director thankfully gave us the concept that it's going to stay in that room and we don't have to feel like we depart. Right. Because the Broadway production for that show did depart from Well, they got that the money apartment. and the
1: room and the fly tower. And and... Exactly,
2: all those things. Follies we did on a unit set because that worked for that show. Yes. Um, and it kept the simplicity factor. And even when we saw the professional production in Washington, they did a unit set as well. It's what the show needs. Yeah,
1: yours was better.
2: Uh, Thank you. Um, (laughs) That's the sound of me not disagreeing. Um, And then then the other musical we've done was Gondoliers, which was a very simplistic set and only had two locations. Mm -hmm. This is a pretty big set. This is uh, a show that has about six or seven different locations, which we've distilled down a little bit to try and Mm -hmm. make it easier on ourselves. Yeah. um, And has some very large set pieces as requirements, including a representation of a house and a barn. And
1: and things have to move, and they have to hold people's weight, and they have to... Yes, because
2: if there's a horizontal surface, Karis will have someone dance on it. Of course. Um, why is it there otherwise? Sometimes they're just there to look at, Karis. <laughs> no. Yes. No. <laughs> um, then don't make it horizontal. Okay, that's why I did the wonky angles and gondoliers. It didn't stop you. No. Um, <laughs> But uh, the challenge with this set is the, the the very big set changes, the set changes that have to happen relatively quickly mm-hmm. because it is a long show and I don't want it to be any longer because of a set change. Right. Um, and the fact that it's another one of those shows that's really written for a big theatre with a fly tower or lots of wing space. Mm-hmm. We can build a big, massive house unit here at the Palace Theatre, but you can't ever take it off stage. There's nowhere for it to go. Right, so right. you have to come up with creative ways of hiding it or moving it in other ways or... Things like that.
1: Yeah. It's going to be interesting. And Matt, you get to dance on it and move it and stuff. Oh,
4: I don't know about dancing on it or moving it yet.
1: Well, you get to dance in and around it. I want to dance on
4: the fence. On the fence? Yeah. I think everyone's going to want to turn and walk in that fence.
1: (laughs) I I haven't made anybody jump over it yet, and that was Joe's request.
4: That was my request. I'll jump over it. I used to be a steeplechaser in high school. Okay. I know how to jump over big wooden things.
1: <laughs> and everybody's making yep. faces now.:
4: <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Thank you. Andrew.: Yes, let's go to the music <laughs> side of things. This is, as you said, the biggest cast you've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, you are oh, I'm probably still more used to working in like an opera company where there's smaller casts, um. unless by this point you've done more.
3: I've done a lot of musical theater in in the uh, three or so years that that I've been music directing in this town. I've Mm -hmm. probably done in the neighborhood of music directed, uh, if you include my work at Original Kids, about 12 to 15 shows, something like that.
1: It's getting up there.
3: Yeah. um, But Oklahoma's kind of different because at least recently I've done a lot of sort of more modern musicals. Uh, things that have a bit more of a, a rock or a popular feel. Mm-hmm. And Oklahoma really sort of brings us back to the roots of musical theater and um, th- that transition from the opera and operatic style into, uh, into the, what we know as the modern musical theater style. So um, uh, I, I think as someone who, who works in both, on both sides of things, uh, it's really given me an opportunity to see that
4: and what do you have planned differently to deal with a um, significantly larger cast? I, from the cast side of things, haven't noticed much other than learning a song takes longer when all 40 of us are there. Well, There's, there's more c-
1: than 40 of you. There's yeah. more than 40 of there's us. There's more than oh, 40 Oh, I of haven't you. counted, but yeah.
4: I think it's wow. a 45 now, 45-ish, mm-hmm. yeah. something I like have, that. I haven't noticed much difference in the way that you're teaching the music, but is there something you're doing differently to deal with?
3: No, I mean, my, my basic methodology is the same. It comes from the really excellent choir directors that I've had over the years and growing up and uh, in my early adulthood, if I'm not still in my early adulthood. But um, uh, And that's just taking the time to do it right. You know, t- taking the time and having the patience to really make sure that everything is in place before you take the next step. Uh, and given my analytical brain, uh, that kind of a method works really well for me, I think. So I just sort of stick with it.
1: Don't you find it's really worth it to take those first couple of songs, whichever it is that you choose, and, and take longer on those couple because the others later, then everybody's used to your style and they're used to the music and they're used to the sound of the show. And they learn it quicker,
3: absolutely, and
1: higher quality learning. Do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, d- the the time that we've taken in in the case of this show with the song Oklahoma has really paid off because we've revisited it four or five times <laughs> in rehearsal. But every time we come back to it, it's um, it starts at a better place. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we've revisited it probably a couple more times before we before we open just on a musical level, it's gonna it's just going to be amazing. It, it is.
1: Do you have any trepidation with it being such a famous piece? And, oh. uh, and I mean, you know, we can't change it, but we want to make it new and fresh. So, I, I mean, I, for me personally, at every rehearsal, the minute they start singing, the hairs on my arms stand on end. It doesn't matter. I've been listening to this my whole life, but that it's still amazing. But what, what, are, your, what are your thoughts about that?
3: Uh, there are times when I think that, you know, oh, I'm just doing it the same old way that everyone's heard, and then I realize by just us doing it, this group of people, mm-hmm. we're going to bring something unique to it. the the quality of the voices, the the even just when we had to have a last minute change in pianists, rehearsal pianists, right. pianists uh, for uh, for the show, it changed just the way that the show, the, the music in the show kind of uh, evolved.
1: Feel and sound.
3: Felt, yeah. It's just, I think it's the individual personalities that bring a lot of, of those kinds of, of elements uh, to such a well-known musical like Oklahoma.
1: So in working on this piece that you know really well and you knew well before you started working on it, what are you learning? Don't roll your eyes at me. You, you knew it well enough. But yeah. then we, you know, like we know the show. Everybody thinks that they know Oklahoma. Yeah. And then you really get to know it. So what are you, as music director, learning by working on this piece? Or have you even thought it,
3: about yeah, it? Yeah, well I have. I mean, it's, it, the biggest thing for me is that the, the realization that musical theater has its roots in my primary field, which, which is opera, and it's really showing to me, I mean, the orchestration, I was, I was just listening to a recording today uh, for the orchestration to sort of figure out what I'm going to do with, with the band when we finally get them, um, that it, it's like I, I may as well be listening to some early English, British, or American opera, early, early 20th century opera. It's so similar. It just has dialogue in between, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a bit more dancey and show a little bit. But um, you know that it, it's uh, our fields are so inter or my two fields I guess are so intertwined um, from an artistic perspective um, yeah: hmm.
5: Well I have a question for actually the four of you who are involved in the show because I am not and I'm not involved in this show which is Unusual. I'm normally odd. I'm I'm normally in Neither is Luke, stuff. and I really wanted him
1: to be a cowboy. <laughs> he would have been an awesome he, cowboy. Yeah.
5: He,
2: he made our backstage website, so technically yeah. he's on the contact list.
1: Technically. True. He does oh, see <laughs> all, all oh. of the rehearsal notices. and He mm-hmm. could just show up at rehearsal and be a cowboy. That's I true. did do that. Yeah. I did show up
5: at rehearsal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have a question, uh, and actually it, I figured the answer will probably be different from all of you, but why Oklahoma? Why here? Why now? what drew you to the project go
2: <laughs> well I'll I'll start off and I'll speak uh sort of in a different capacity I'm not going to speak as the set designer I'm going to speak on behalf of the musical theater productions board which I am now the president of <gasps> Yay! thank you Mr. President now you have to sing happy birthday no I don't um, <laughs> Matt can do that okay we'll, do, we'll get a gold dress um but I'm okay with the that. reason there was it's it's interesting that you bring up doing Oklahoma now because one thing that musical theater productions has never done before is we've never done a show that we've already produced before. And we have produced Oklahoma once before and in the 25 years in the more recent half of that 25 years in addition.
5: So I was going to say yeah, MTP never never does shows
2: twice. This is the first time ever that we're repeating a show and from 12 years ago, right? Yes, from about 12 years ago. Uh, it's the first time that we're repeating a show and really if you if you think about it if you're going to repeat a show why not the show that started musical theater which is Oklahoma right and if you're going if you're going to pick a time to repeat a show as an idea of celebration or commemorating something we've done before in our past why not in our 25th anniversary season right. um that was a big reason for doing th- this show at this time and because we really wanted our our 25th anniversary season to have a celebratory feel in all of the titles that we selected. And really, Oklahoma is at its heart in the essence of the storyline. It's about a big party. Everyone's getting together for the box social. It's a celebration. It's about... uh, a territory becoming a state—it's about prospects, it's about the future, and all the glorious things that that can hold. Well, and what and better way to start our our anniversary?
1: And after the big old party, three weeks later is a wedding. Exactly, so, uh, everything about it is a party. And Karis, didn't you say before we were recording? You said it's also an anniversary for the actual yes. Oklahoma. Yes, the musical. show itself is seventy years old this year. Yeah, it opened March thirty first of nineteen forty three, um, and they actually joked. Um, saying, why did you pick that night? Because if it doesn't go well, it means all the notices the next day will be Oklahoma April Fool's joke. Right? Fortunately, it went brilliantly, so those were not the headlines, but yeah, it's in its 70th year.
5: So it's all about the celebration. Absolutely. And the anniversaries and happiness. happiness. Yeah, parties.
1: That's yeah. awesome. Why not celebrate? <laughs> with a rocking
2: great cast, with a huge oh my show. Oh, gosh. Thank you. Uh, I think I will pass that along to somebody else now to speak as to why they particularly wanted to work on Oklahoma.
1: You go, Andrew.
3: For me, I mean Oklahoma is Oklahoma. It's the
1: <laughs> <laughs> That sounds it's, lame. <laughs> it's the it's
3: the the it's the first thing I think of when I think of classic musical theater. I mean probably okay. most people, right? Like it's 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 been a while if ever since I've worked on something golden age classic um, and for me uh, I mean that it, it's kind of the 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 star of of that period
2: yeah uh, yeah I would concur
3: and certainly the thing that has lasted
2: mm-hmm and end of because we often think of that period as at the beginning of musical theater as being the time of rogers and hammerstein and the moment you say rogers and hammerstein for 90 percent of people the first show that's going to come to mind is oklahoma
1: yeah it's either that or sound of music that's exactly sound
2: of music. like 50
1: <laughs> yeah. 50 yeah yeah and we didn't want to do a show with nuns
2: again 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 been in again a show with nuns.
1: again even though we had the costumes <laughs> so now you're all looking at me right Ah, uh, so why oklahoma um, it was put to me to choose between Oklahoma and Carousel. I've already done Carousel twice and I've always wanted to do Oklahoma and I've, I've never done it. So that was an, an easy decision. I'd love to do Carousel again. I think it's a beautiful piece. Um, but for the time slot that was being considered, um, that it, it made sense and it was more celebratory I knew it was the anniversary of MTP. I didn't at that point, because I hadn't gone m- into my heavy research mode, uh, know that it was the anniversary of of the show itself as well. Um, there, But I also wanted to, and you guys can speak to whether or not you think I'm achieving this. Those are you, you who are at rehearsals and watching stuff. I wanted to try to take this wonderful classic that's from, you know, that era and show how it's still fresh and relevant and the messages are so very important today like the the Kansas City song for example he's talking about how everything's up to date and all the modern advances or modern as he says you know and how the sit, the building is seven stories high and how he's shocked that he's talking to somebody on a bell telephone and you know, we're not shocked with the same kinds of innovations, but there's still innovations every time we turn around. We're still like, wow, where are we going to go next? Where are we going to go next? Kind of, kind of sentiments. So people might not realize first off when watching the show how relevant it still is, but it is. And so I'm trying to, um, trying to not like Andrew was saying with the music, not just, well, because it could, I could just say, read the lines and do what feels natural. There we go. There's Oklahoma. That's a faithful rendition of Oklahoma, and I'm trying to be faithful, but also make it fresh and 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 funnier, um, faster, hopefully, because it's a long sucker. Um, <laughs> you know, we we want to. It's at least three hours. It's that kind of a show. They all were Didn't at that you say point. That the Dream Ballet was 21 pages of music. It is 21 pages of music, and and that's the cut down version. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah.
3: Without a single note of singing.
1: Yeah, with no singing. 21 pages of music, that's after we've trimmed some stuff. It was actually, I think, 27.
2: And, wow. And, and on that note of the Dream Valet, if I may pose a question to you as an mm-hmm. interviewee. Sure. Did the choreography and the amount of dance in the show have anything to do with you picking this show? Because from what I've seen of your work, this is probably the biggest dance show you've ever done.
1: Did it impact on the decision? No, um, because I wasn't thinking about that. And Carousel also has a big dream ballet. It's probably, uh, and plus the whole opening montage of Carousel is all movement. There's like, it's like seven minutes of just music and storytelling through you know, blocking and, and, and movement and pantomime. Um, so you know I just went with my gut when I was asked that question. Uh, now that I'm plunged deep in the middle of rehearsals, I'm scared to death of all of this choreography. It's a lot, it's a lot to get done. Um, so I'm very glad I'm doing it because I'm feeling rusty. I haven't done a musical since Follies because Sullivan and Gilbert is really a play with music and it really didn't have the amount of choreography um, necessary. And, and so if I'm really feeling that if I don't keep doing stuff like that or at least give, give myself that task whether or not it sees a stage, I'm going to lose that skill because <laughs> you feel rusty. And and, uh, Like I was saying to the girls in the Dream Ballet, if I see another balancé, I'm going to go mad because it's a waltz and that's just the, you know, it's sort of the move that your body just naturally wants to do when you hear that rhythm. But I can't have 21 pages of balancé. I will go mad, the dancers will go mad, and the audience will be like, what the heck is this? So it's very challenging to find new and creative movement and then tell a story. I was so thrilled, Andrew. You were saying the other night at rehearsal that you you recognized and you could see the narrative.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It was re- very clear, and and the guys were all missing. Yeah, you could still that's see right. It.
1: That's right. Only half the cast was present.
3: Karis, you 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 said something earlier that really resonated with me about the the new fresh uh-huh. kind of um, Oklahoma, not sort of the old tired kind of thing. And, right. and I'm uh, I I'm really trying to. Uh, embody that as well musically mm-hmm. so um, for me I listen to there's not that many considering how old the piece is there really aren't that many recordings no there are out there um, but and I really, not
1: I mean, one of them is true to the score not it's one true.
3: I mean the closest is probably the original but it's missing a whole bunch of oh, stuff yeah. so none of the um, dance music is there yeah. so
1: it has it's no reference it's no use yeah.
3: um, but it, it's interesting to listen to the few that are available and listen to what they all do exactly the same. Right. And yes, they're individual r- performances and recordings, they've got some individuality to, to them, but there are conventions that stay exactly the same. We always slow down the same way here. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I, I'm trying to move a little bit away from, in the music for this production without making it not work anymore. Right. So I still want it to work, I still want it to support what we're, the story we're trying to tell, but I'm trying not to just make decisions because that's the way everyone does it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a re- real concrete way that, um, that we as a team, I think, are, are making it fresh and, and, and new. And I know you're making a lot of the same sort of decisions as well. It's hard. It is hard. Because it's, very it's hard.
1: so easy to just go, well, this is what's been done before, so let's do that. Exactly. So, Matt, being in it, um, if, if you're seeing someone say, hey, I'm in a show. I mean, I know that you do that all the time. You're always promoting your show and stuff. But what are you going to say or what are you saying to people as to why they should come to this? Because you know, I'm sure people are going to say to you, I've seen Oklahoma. So, what's your answer?
4: My main one at the moment, is that it'll be my last show in London for a while. That's true. So all the people. who So in can't other words,
1: just come see Matt. Yes,
4: really funny story. My best friend. Just side note, really, really quickly, um, he's not a musical guy. He's a skateboarder. He competes and does all that stuff. So I'm like, oh, like this is gonna be your last chance. You have to come see me perform in Oklahoma. And he goes, that's so far, and I don't have a passport. <laughs> and I looked at him and I was like you're so cute (laughs) like no there's a show called Oklahoma but anyway um, no I think it's it's an overall really fun show and I don't know too much about it because I'm coming into a blind I'm a terrible person for never seeing Hugh Jackman in it um, or watching any of the movies or hearing (laughs) any of the music before three weeks ago Um,
1: I know it's funny. Like We all think, because we're immersed in the musical theater culture, that everybody knows it. But Carrie, she's shaking her head. I have never seen it. I have never, other than, oh, what a beautiful
5: morning, I highly doubt I know any of the music from it. So when I come to see this production, it will be my first experience seeing it. I haven't even
1: seen Hugh Jackman in it rather th- than a glimpse of him at the Tony Awards. I highly think you probably know more songs than that you just don't know they're from that show. Yeah
2: I think that it's going to be one of those experiences for people who don't know Oklahoma and don't know the music they're going to come they're going to sit down and someone's going to open their mouth to sing, to sing and they're going to go oh that's what this song is from. Right I
5: guarantee that will happen to me because <laughs> that's the thing when came when I came and visited rehearsals they were singing Oh What a Beautiful Morning and I'm like I know this song everybody knows this song And it was just so wonderful to see everyone singing with gusto and seeing Art Fiddler singing like a maniac and smiling. And everyone just seemed so happy. And and that song just made me feel happy just watching it. Sure.
4: It, oh. it
2: also belies an older time when uh, songs from shows would become old standards. That's like true. when people would actually go and record a song from a show. That doesn't happen anymore. I mean, Barbara Streisand tried to do that for a while to keep it going where yeah. um, musical theater well, she songs was, would become popular.
1: She was trying to revive it, really. exactly. Because um, after Frank Sinatra did that, it sort of, in the, in the late 60s and 70s, it kind of waned. And so Barbara was doing that again and people do record a few but only from the more pop type ones and not that much.
2: No, it's seldom nowadays that you'll get someone cover a song from a musical theater piece as just a standard, like a song on their album or as a song that they're going to release for the radio because Mm -hmm. people just don't think of musical theater as that anymore yeah it's seldom taken out of context actually
1: i think the last big one aside from barbara's album was uh i don't know how to love him from jesus christ superstar Mm. i think that's one of the last time that you know the musical theater historians will now call into the show i hope you do and tell me what i'm wrong about but i was thinking maybe i dreamed a dream have been yeah, done. that well, one.
3: Well, the resurgence of Les Mis as a show in general in pop culture, I think, has has really changed that for that show, yeah. but not necessarily for for the art form as a whole.
1: And it sure isn't as prevalent on the radio and in, in the media with pop artists being recovered like it was mm-hmm. in the, as we keep saying, golden day.
5: I think a, a, a modern reference or a modern version of this might have been Anna Kendrick singing the cup song from pitch perfect. That's become a radio song. Right. But that's the only
1: thing that I can think of because right. Unless it
5: appears in a film.
1: Yeah. Like it'll be interesting after into the woods comes out. What's going to happen with that music? Is that going to suddenly, you know, will something get covered there?
2: I think children will listen, will become a standard after that in the same way that I dreamed a dream and on my own are now more, conventionally known standards for yeah. singers glee
5: has done a lot for that too surprisingly yeah because in their early days and yet well <laughs> <laughs> there, that that's a whole nother discussion yeah we won't go there <laughs> which isn't really what our podcast is about no <laughs> um and i was just actually thinking i think i might even know one other oklahoma song if the version on sesame street with forgetful jones is yes, actually it is. a song from oklahoma yes it is Okay, cool. So, of course. so I do know, I know two songs then. For sure. You know, when he comes two. out and sings Oklahoma and Oklahoma" and "Uklahoma," Yeah. And then when he finally gets to sing Oklahoma, it's time for break.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love that clip. Yeah, 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 I know two songs from there Oklahoma. You go. There you go. The Muppets do everything, people. Exactly. Everything.: <laughs> Actually, I, just to digress again to muppetiness, it, it, it's, it seems very clear to me, and I'm not finished reading the um, new biography uh, that I just bought, and I'm reading about Jim Henson. Um, just a little plug there out oh, there, people. It's really, really good. You should go get it. Um, but he clearly was a Stephen Sondheim fan. Because when you watch Muppet Show episodes and when you watch Things of Sesame Street, the amount of times that somebody does a one off of a, of a song where you're like, Wow, that's from this Sondheim show or that's from this Sondheim show or that's like he clearly went to the theater a lot and was constantly inspired and pulling songs from all sorts mm-hmm. of sources. But Sondheim is Sondheim music is there all the way through, which mm-hmm. And again, I, that's do, cool.
2: doing that in an era where that was seldom being done taking show taking songs out of show context
4: anymore and just right. performing them, and he was still doing that on his show.
1: With puppets. Exactly. With Kermit the Frog.
4: Family Guy is also really good for that. Yes. And The Simpsons for a while, they pulled out a few GNS.
1: Well, and I just saw Family Guy in concert um, last mm-hmm. weekend and Which it, I don't
4: like you for. I'm
1: sorry, I bought tickets. You <laughs> could have bought tickets. There were still some left. It was pretty awesome. But I have to say, like, there's nothing like a full orchestra on stage, and, you know, Seth MacFarlane singing as. Peter Griffin, Shapoopy. Hmm. I mean, it was hilarious. <laughs> That's it was amazing. It was hilarious. There's a, there's he There's a
2: lot of music man in that show, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, there's lots the musical.
1: of musicals just in general. He clearly has a, has a love for that. But it was hilarious because before he even started, he says, if you know this, sing along. Um, he swore in the middle of that line as well because he just does. And before he even started, I knew what song it was and I knew every word. So I sang along from the back of the balcony. I doubt he heard me, but there you go. I would have done it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, you said he heard you laugh, so he could yeah. have heard you.
1: Yeah, well, you know I have a pretty loud laugh. So that means you have sang with Seth MacFarlane. Yes, I have. That's I guess so. Awesome. I've also sung with Julie Andrews, but she doesn't know it either. <sighs> <laughs> Julie Andrews. Yeah, you know. you know, she doesn't know it, though. So it doesn't really
2: count. That's the best kind of duet.
1: No, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't agree. I sing with Kermit the Frog all the time. I do want to sing with Kermit the Frog when he knows that I'm singing with yeah. him. <laughs> I want him to ad-lib with me. That'd be yeah. fun. Yes,
2: it would. You should like, scat together. I have
3: one of those where he knew, he knew that I was singing with him, but he didn't know who I was. And who's I was that? part of a big, big group. When I was little, I was in the Toronto Children's Chorus. Uh, and. We did a concert with the Toronto Symphony where Christopher Plummer narrated.
1: Nice.
2: Ooh. So uh,
3: I can say I've shared the stage with Christopher Plummer.
2: Mm-hmm. Which means you're only like one degree away from Julie Andrews. That's true. True.
1: True. I'm two oh degrees of separation my. from Julie Andrews. Yep. yep. Cool. Very, very cool. Um. So do we have any questions of, uh, any more questions of anything? Like what are you looking, f- I know, I know. There we go. What are you looking forward to Joe when you see this show because you are not stage managing. So you've not seen anything of it. And I hope that Andrew is not filling you in on all the
2: details. Some broad strokes but sure. no no,
3: no details.
2: What am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing the things that I know will be unexpected. I know that you never direct a show in an unexpected way. That you always bring your own flair to it. Like you were saying that your challenge for this one is it's such an old show. It's such an old standard. How do we bring that feeling of new and freshness and Mm -hmm. something we haven't seen before. and We always always try to do something we've never done before and I know that for ourselves and I know that you'll do that with the piece, you're going to try and put your own stamp on it, something that nobody else has done before with the piece. That's probably what I'm most looking forward to. And the other thing I'm probably most looking forward to is getting to see a real... um, I'm really looking forward to the Dream Ballet because I haven't seen a strong ballet done on this stage in my time here mm-hmm. as part of a show. Well,
1: nobody's done a show that required one either. Yeah. So it, is, the, is the challenge of the, of the set having to move? Is that your new thing that you've never done? Because I know you always try to do one thing that you've never done.
2: Uh, yeah, probably the house unit for the fact that it's something so big that actually has to move, mm-hmm. which we kind of geared up for by doing Sullivan and Gilbert because mm-hmm. we had the turntable but a turntable and something that just is going to be able to move freestanding on the stage is very very different Right. Um, so yeah I think that would be the
1: and what about the fold out for Judd's little house is that new have you done stuff like that before no
2: I've never put a pop up book basically on stage before no so very that's cool a, so that's new that's challenge
3: accepted
2: uh, we've also <laughs> never done yeah. it there was we had intended it was one of the things that we let go we had intended to have Um, a ground row which is a a dimensional partial backdrop at the back of the stage for gondoliers true delineating we for that show was going to delineate the uh, skyline of the cities and we were actually going to change it between the acts but that was something that we had to let go of for time purposes um we are doing a ground row for this show so that's also something i've never gotten to do is that feeling of Mm -hmm. kind of a a painted backdrop-esque in that way which is different than the backdrop. That was in Sullivan and Gilbert, which is probably why I'm not at all scared of doing it now because I figure if we did that, we can do anything. <laughs> right,
1: right. Yeah, I'm excited to see what Mark Mooney, our lighting designer, does with all of this color and, and, and all of this wonderfulness because unlike uh, like Three Musketeers was very sort of parchmenty and and had a lot of those warm brown to gold tones, a lot of the costumes brought sort of the jewel colors out of it for for this show, uh, it's going to be interesting to see the way the color is brought in with light and the way the color is brought in with our costume designs. think it's going to be really neat because they have to look like cowboys. So like they have to wear, mm-hmm. you know, they, they can't have multicolored pants. They kind of have to have denim. Otherwise, the audience is going to go, what the heck is that, right? That's another challenge. We've got to make all the gun holsters and whatnot. And people forget there's lots of violence in Oklahoma.
4: I'm excited to have a gun again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't think it will be as exciting a gun as the last one you had. No, probably
4: not. But I get to twirl it.
1: You do. You do. That'll you get fun. to twirl it.
4: Do you get to fire it? No. No. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to fire my gun in the last one either.
1: No.
5: Because It was
4: pointed at Nick's back. I know. Well, and then he disarmed me and pointed it at me.
1: Yeah. I think there's only one. No, there's three gunshots in the show. So, yeah, you're Spoiler not going to. Spoiler warning. Yeah.
2: Those <laughs> with weak constitutions, prepare yeah. yourself.
1: Well, I guess we have to. They, they'd know. There'd be a sign out in the lobby, right?
2: Made by your husband.
1: Yes. Yes. And I want dry ice. I don't know if anybody's told you anything like that. We, we, we're at a production
4: manager. meeting. Yes. Let's oh. do it.
1: So, yeah. It'll be cool, it'll be fun. Hey, producer, been pretty quiet over there, but you're giving us the signal that it's time to, to wrap it up. So um, thanks for coming in and talking about set design and musical direction and how things inspire you and, and answering everybody's questions and stuff like that. And I hope that all of you out there in listener land uh, get to come and see our show uh, November 14th to 24th here at the lovely Palace Theater. Trust me, the acoustics are great. And this cast sounds amazing, and they look amazing, too. So eye candy and ear candy. Uh, Buy your tickets at the Palace Theatre, and we'll see you next time on The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You.
0: Thanks for joining us at The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You. We'd love to hear from you. And you can do that at theloversthedreamersandyou.com or by finding us on Twitter or Facebook. This has been a Luke Bainbridge production. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, and we'll see you next time for another edition of The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You. Life's like a movie, write your own ending, keep believing, keep pretending. We've done just what we've set out to do, thanks to The Lovers, The Dreamers, and You.